friends. Welcome to Womankind. This is Kelsey Novitz, your host, and I'm here with my guest for this week. This is Erin Bagwell. Um, and so Erin is a woman who wears many hats, and so she blogs at Feminist Wednesday. She has a podcast called Beaver Talk, and she is the creator and director of Dream Girl Film, which after lots of hard work and effort, its all-female crew premiered this movie at the White House under the Obama administration, which is amazing. Um, and it has been viewed over two, at over 250 screenings in 40 different countries. And Erin and her production partner have actually been selected to be part of Oprah's Super Soul 100. So that, that's quite a list of things that you've been up to, Erin. So, you know, I try to stay busy. <laughs> what can I say? So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Let's start out by hearing a little bit more about you. What's your story? What is my story? So, I mean, I think everything started with Feminist Wednesday. Um, essentially, I was working at a job that I despised. It was one of those nine to fives where you like dread going in in the morning. Mm -hmm. You dread being there. You're counting down the hours. And um, I was actually being sexually harassed at the job, which I actually didn't have the language to talk about or understand kind of until after I left the job. Um, right. But Sometimes that's looking, a lot to process when it's happening. Totally. And I think I was kind of in denial of like, well, did he really say that? Does it really, um, is that really the intention behind it? I think as women, we kind of make excuses for right. what's happening because our brains are just, like you said, trying to process what's going on. Right. Um, so kind of as an act of rebellion, I started getting really into feminism mm -hmm. and I started reading about it and doing a lot of deep dives and I think just craving other stories of women who are experiencing what I was experiencing. Um, I think as a privileged white woman, I hadn't faced a lot of discrimination up until that point in my life. Mm -hmm. And it really opened my eyes to like, wow, there's a lot at play here. Right. There's a lot of gender dynamics and, um, and cultural dynamics that shape the way that we're treated as women. So I started a blog called Feminist Wednesday, which is a feminist storytelling blog. We publish content um, once a month now, every the first Wednesday of every month. And basically to just share women's stories and to hear from the women in my life. And in the beginning, it was like my friends and family who wrote for the blog. I write for the blog. Um, and now it's pretty cool. It's like, we've been in blogging, the blogging world for five years. Oh, wow. And now Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And now we get stories from around the world of people who just want to share their experiences and what they're going through. So, um, Feminist Wednesday was my gateway drug to <laughs> following my dreams, I would, I would say. And, um, it was kind of working on the blog that gave me the courage to leave my job Mm -hmm. um, to kind of focus on what I wanted my passion to be. And at the time I was meeting all these female entrepreneurs mm -hmm. because I was the founder of this blog that I had just kind of started, um, and became obsessed with their stories and became obsessed with the history of women starting, you know, 24,000 businesses a day. And the fact that historically we're at a time right now where this is really unprecedented and it's really exciting and it's really unknown relatively. And so that kind of sparked the idea for Dream Girl. And, you know, we did the Kickstarter. We raised $100,000 in 30 days to produce a film, you know, about these female entrepreneurs. And I've been working on it full time for the last four years. So it's been crazy. Oh, wow. 
What a journey. (laughs) It is quite a journey. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So getting into the movie, what you just said that, you you know, starting the blog and going down that road is really what inspired you to make the movie. But what, were you a writer prior to starting the blog? Was filmmaking something that you always wanted to do? Or is it something that just kind of ended up happening? Yeah, I mean, I've always been making movies. Mm -hmm. um, And I actually went to Canisius College in Buffalo, New York and um, studied digital media arts with a concentration in video and design and produced a 34-minute documentary about studying abroad in college. So I was really into movie making. I still am really into (laughs) movie making. Um, It was always kind of like my big dream of like move to New York, you know, make a movie, work with producers, that kind of thing. Um, And so that's always kind of been part of my DNA. Uh, Blogging is something that I, it has taken me a little while to admit that I'm a writer. (laughs) Um, I've actually written a series on Feminist Wednesday called The Gal's Guide to Making a Movie, Mm -hmm. um, which is 20 articles kind of about the dream girl process, just breaking it down for people who might be interested. Um, And I also wrote Creative Money, which is a 70 page ebook, which is about the sales side of being a creative Mm -hmm. and what happens when you have a product and you poured your heart and soul into it, but you know, now you have to promote it and now you have to get the word out. And I think as artists, we have a lot of detangling to do Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to self promotion and like how that's okay and how we need to make money to survive. Um, So I feel like I officially now can call myself a writer, even though Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not the thing that comes easiest to me, I would say. Mm-hmm. But it's something that you enjoy doing and you want to put out there. Yeah, I think, I think I'm always trying to create stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think after the film came out, I had this like big creative hole and I wasn't ready to start production or get back mm-hmm. into filmmaking. So I was just actively looking for something else to do. <laughs> um, and so started taking it a little bit more seriously and, and honestly just having a little bit more fun with like, what's my tone of voice and things like that. So it's been, it's been fun to write. Mm-hmm. Nice. Let's get into talking about dream girl a little bit more. So I mentioned this in the last episode or a couple episodes ago of the show that my inspiration for starting this podcast was actually viewing Dream Girl. Um, It was a a few days after the election last year when you allowed some free viewing of it online. And so Mm. I just decided to check it out. And by the end of it, I had I was like, this is we need to hear more women's stories. And I want to help tell women's stories as well. So it was very inspirational to me. Um, and I want to hear a little bit more about the the process of actually creating the movie and um, where some of your ideas came from and some of the challenges that you faced. So tell us yeah, a little I, bit more. Well, first of all, that's I think that's so incredible. Um, and you've told me that before. Um, and also like, how cool that you kind of a listen to it because I hear from a lot of people that you know dream girls inspiring and they think of something but like to actually do the work mm-hmm. and to do the thing is so hard so I'm very proud of you well, for, thank you <laughs> <laughs> for it's... making it happen and putting it all together because I think that's that's the thing right is like right. we have these ideas we have these dreams but putting them on paper moving forward I mean that's that's the hard part so this is so exciting that we're we're chatting on this manifestation. I know. This is awesome. This is like kind of like I'm fangirling a little bit right now. <laughs> um, um, I just think that at some point we should address talking about how to get started on something like this because it can be daunting. And people, you know, they have 
they have lists of ideas and bucket lists and all of these things they want to achieve, Mm -hmm. but often taking that step and putting it out there is the thing that, um, that never happens sometimes. So what advice, what advice do you have for people in that position? I think the big thing is to remember that you're going to start small. Mm -hmm. And I think when we have dreams and we have like ambition and, you know, we think of the whole, the big piece, the big hole of like, you know, I want to have, you know, I'm sure in your brain, you're like, I want to have a podcast. I want this many people to listen to it. And I, you know, the, the, the brain, you know, is churning and the ideas are flowing, um, which is amazing. But then I think what happens is this, the self saboteur comes in and goes, Mm -hmm. well, like when you start and you only have a couple of listeners and, you know, you're starting on this journey, it's like, I think you can get overwhelmed with like how it's not moving fast enough. Um, and I think for people who are interested in like taking that first step, it's like knowing a, that like, it's such a privilege to like have nobody listen to you in the beginning, (laughs) to be able to figure it out, to be able to have it change, to be able to have it grow. Um, and taking really, really small steps, Mm -hmm. you know, like what is the, I always tell people like, what is the smallest thing you can do to move in the direction Mm -hmm. of your dream? You know, is it buying a book about it? Is it writing it down? Is it telling your mom? Because I will say, I think if you're in alignment with what you're supposed to be doing, the momentum builds around you. Mm-hmm. But you have to start moving. Like if you move, the universe moves with you. Um, and so you have to be kind of like actively pursuing in some way. But it can be so small. Right. right. That's what I found myself doing. I would make all these lists and then it would be something as simple, like you said, as writing something down or telling someone something. So then I would be held accountable for it. And that would feel like an accomplishment for the day. I'm like, okay, I can check something off the list for today. And then tomorrow I'll do something else. Totally. I I, I love that idea of like doing one thing a day to move mm -hmm. towards it. Definitely. Yeah. Because I think you're right when you see the end product, because typically what we see in creative situations are people's end products and we don't always see the process. So I love that you've outlined the process with um, like your little web series and the different things that you've done, because that I think makes it more feasible for people to do when they do see the steps that people take rather than just the, the grand finale at the end. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that was kind of the intention behind dream girl as well as we wanted the stories to show the process mm-hmm. and we wanted you to feel like you were, you know, behind the scenes in the Via Rosa household mm-hmm. or you were part of kind of production meetings. And I think, to your point, like we do always see the final, but like the final is like not super interesting, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And I think even in the beginnings of like how you get there is is um, is definitely something. But the middle, the process, that's mm-hmm. where like all of the drama happens. Right. And that's where all the insight and the learning and the growing. So um, we really wanted to show women's stories and women's experiences specifically with their entrepreneurial journey um, kind of in process still. Mm -hmm. And we wanted it to feel like you were at a dinner party with Mm -hmm. like five to 10 women who like you had never met or known before who are in different stage of their stages of their business, different industries that you could become kind of obsessed with Mm -hmm. that you could fangirl and, and really do a deep dive and, and really admire. Um, and so I think the big thing for us was like casting Mm -hmm. who that group of women was going to be, I think that was probably the hardest part. Um, and also finding a team and a crew that it's interesting. I think so much of the energy that's on film 
happens in the room mm-hmm. and happens with the energy of who is there. So with kind of that same intention, I hired women who deeply cared about the project and who were also really mellow mm-hmm. and really chill and um, could get along and be collaborative. Um, it's kind of, there's a lot of high energy when you're on set cause you're a little bit nervous. And then when the talent comes, like there's so many moving parts, it can be mm-hmm. a little stressful. So I wanted to make sure that I had people who were like really operating at like a, a chill level mm-hmm. so that we weren't, it wasn't feeling like a crazy house. Um, and I think that also really shows in the film of this, the warmth that the women behind the camera, they really cared about you know, Clara and Annie mm-hmm. and Mariama and Joanne. So um, that was also an important factor of production. So to jump back to something you just said, how did you choose the final? It's five, right? The final five for the movie? We have five kind of um, central women's stories. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't, I couldn't leave. We had ended up interviewing a lot of other women. And I, there were some insights and some quotes and some, things that I just had to include. So we actually have 10 women all together. Okay. Um, and they're kind of, um, we don't get to see their full scope and their full story, mm-hmm. but they kind of just pop in as like these extra additions to kind of enhance mm-hmm. what the five main women are saying. Um, and I chose them. I mean, a lot of it was just trying to be open and mm-hmm. trying to listen and hear from everybody. And I will say when I was doing the Kickstarter and we were raising money for the film, I was pitching a lot of female entrepreneurs and, you know, cause I wanted them to give me money for the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But while we were on the phone, I would be writing down their stories right. and I would be like <laughs> secretly interviewing them to mm-hmm. see kind of if their stories could fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also tried to figure out, okay, what do we want this movie to feel like and who do we want to hear from? Um, And it was really important to have, like, a diverse cast from ages, backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, Clara Virosa is 83 years old in the film. That's awesome. (laughs) So there's such a range of experience, which I also, I mean, the film can never speak for all women. But I did want it to feel like a lot of our voices were being heard. Definitely. Um, So you told us a little bit about finding the women and some of the process of creating. Um, Let's hear a little bit more about some of the challenges that you faced through the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think for me, the biggest challenges, I would say that they are fall under like two buckets. I would say the first thing is that, you know, you can make a production schedule and you can set a timeline and you can figure out, you know, the logistics. I'm a really good planner. I'm super type A. Um, and so the actual production of the film was something that came really easy to me. Mm -hmm. However, you know, in that time I like got married and we had all of these different pieces kind of come to us. I was part of, you know, a campaign with Clinique, which kind of, you know, took me out of production for a week. And I, you know, was part of this, um, like ad campaign they did. And I got to go to Ted women, which was really cool. Um, but it kind of took me out of working and then, you know, Oprah's super soul, um, 100 called and they were like, we want to promote. So I found a lot of, it was really challenging to have to manage and run a company to build a brand, to be doing promotion, 
while actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a couple of months towards the end, really, where I was like, okay, I'm not getting on a phone call. And I'm not taking a meeting. And if this movie's going to get done, I need to like black out my schedule Mm -hmm. and really focus. And I think that was something that I wasn't expecting. Um, But I think because we had such good energy and momentum around the Kickstarter, you know, our press really just kept growing. And it was really hard for me to go like, well, can I just fit in a 10 minute Mm -hmm. call? And can I just, you know, if it's going to get our message out there. So that was really hard for me to figure out kind of like what I wanted to be spending my time on. And it's interesting because those opportunities were coming because of the movie. So it was kind of like, what, what do I do in this situation? Yeah, it was really, it was very challenging. And then I also got married kind of in the middle of all of that, which Mm -hmm. is another huge, um, you know, time intensive process. And, you know, if you were to ask my mom, she would say like, she planned the whole wedding. (laughs) Um, Her and my husband, Sal did a a lot of the heavy lifting, Mm -hmm. but it it still is like, you're still involved and you're still talking about and you're still planning it. So um, I think the world you can't control, I think is, is always um, a big tricky part of it. And then financially kind of along the same path, you know, we raised a hundred thousand dollars you know, which in my mind doubled our goal. I'm thinking like work, I'm never gonna have to work again in my life. Like this money is going to be it's gonna last us forever. And then we probably were working on production for about maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And we started running out of money. Oh, wow. And um, it started to get very stressful. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. How and long was like, the total time of production? Um, probably about two and a half years. So kind of halfway through the process as we were kind of transitioning to post-production. Um, so that was really stressful. And to be honest, we spent so much money on production, you know, the crew that I had a six woman crew, all of our equipment, we did, um, stop motion animation for post pro Like we did, we had all these really concrete expenses and the editing part was really mostly just like my time and my editor's time. Right. Um, so we ended up having to do fundraising in the middle and raised another hundred thousand dollars from angel investors in our mm-hmm. community. And Joanne Wilson leads, um, led a round of angel investment for us and she's featured in the film. Um, so that was like also really, really hard of like, okay, what are you going to do? How are we going to make this happen? You know, and then I think there's a little bit that's like, you know, I mean, we didn't really know what we were doing in all aspects of the filmmaking Mm -hmm. process, but I think there, when I think about it now, I I have a lot of guilt around like, we should have had a more concrete budget and I should have been doing my accounting, you know, every month and I should have been more, Um, involved and more active in the finances of it, which is, you know, one of the reasons that I ended up writing creative money is because I made a lot of money mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe mistakes is the wrong word. Maybe I just learned a lot, but I wish that I had known. Um, So I would say that was one of the, another really tricky part is just figuring out how much money we needed. Right. And those were things that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have necessarily known beforehand. Like if you were you know, doing the budget every month and in those things, maybe you couldn't have avoided some of those lessons, as you say. So that's all part of the process. Totally. And I mean, and it's funny, too, when I talk to other filmmakers, because now I'm, um, I have a little bit of a bigger network of people who are in the industry, and they're always like shocked that we made Dream Girl on the budget that we did. Mm -hmm. So that always makes me feel really good when they are Mm -hmm. like, we can't figure out how you did this. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. So what is your, your favorite part of the whole process? What is like a, a really memorable moment or something that just stands out to you about everything? And I know it's probably hard to choose one, but. You know, I think for me, it's, I really love like our high school mm-hmm. communities that screen the film. You know, I went to an all girls, I went to Sacred Heart, mm-hmm. um, which is an all girls school. And I think going back to to the young women and mm-hmm. kind of showing them what I wish I would have known mm-hmm. and what I wish I would have seen is so powerful. And the energy that like young women bring to watching the film mm-hmm. is really palpable. It's, um, it's really exciting. And I think that always really like touches me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like when I speak to young women who want to be filmmakers I think that's also really cool because mm-hmm. I know that growing up, I was thinking about film and I was thinking about, you know, what could I do creatively? And I think you always have this starving artist narrative mm-hmm. and you also just see a bunch of old white men. So, you know, when I can go to events and screenings and like meet girls who want to be filmmakers, um, that's pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remembered what I was going to say earlier and it's, it's related to this. Um, it's just about, because like I said, I found the film so inspirational, but it's the certain brand of inspiration. Like it isn't like mm-hmm. cheesy inspiration. It is this real storytelling of women who are not necessarily trying to be inspirational. They're just telling their stories as they are and what they've done. And to me, that is so powerful because we don't often get to see women in those positions that are just telling their story. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I love that aspect of it. And that is important for, I think, young women, old women, women at any age to see that, just to see women being validated and telling their stories with matter-of-factness and just a level of confidence and importance. Yeah, absolutely. We're not trying to like hit you over the head with any kind of like agenda. Right. We really just are creating this space for these women to own kind of their experiences and, mm-hmm. and validate them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad that that felt like it came across. That was definitely mm-hmm. our intention to make yeah. it feel authentic and, and to just have it be made with love. You know, I think right. that's where inspiration and like that kind of cheesy factor can kind of come in is is like who's making it and who are they making it for? I think right. we also had a little bit of power because, you know, like I said, the women in the room cared, you right. know, and the women in the editing suite cared. And there was such care given to literally every frame of the movie. So right. I hope people can feel that. Oh, you absolutely can. It's the carefulness is there in every scene. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how your premiere for the movie was in the White House. How did that opportunity yeah. come about? Well, you know, I would say we have the best Kickstarter backers because the reason that we met Oprah and the reason we got to go to the White House is because we had people who donated to our Kickstarter campaign and then, you know, got to see our updates and, you know, us being on set. And they felt like they were a part of the journey, which was really Mm -hmm. cool. And so, you know, when we got closer to premiering the film, a woman from um, the United States of Women in Business Council reached out to me and was like, would you be interested in doing a screening at the White House? And uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was one of those like really surreal moments. I was like, uh, yeah. So actually she reached out to me many months before we were done and I kind of sent her rough cuts and gave her updates and, you know, kind of just put her in my um, peripheral of like wanting to make sure she felt seen Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that we really meant business about doing a screening there. So 
we, she ended up calling us about a date. It actually, the first time we booked a date with them, it fell through. Mm-hmm. And so then by the time we actually went to um, the White House, we were, my team was so nervous because we were like, is this really actually going to happen? Right. <laughs> Security was really crazy. We weren't allowed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed to say until um, the day that it actually, I think we weren't allowed to say anything until I think after the screening. Oh, wow. So it was very stressful. Like mm-hmm. all the security you had to go through. Um but yeah, it was because a woman had been following us. And I feel like all of our, all of the opportunities we've gotten are because women have just kind of pushed us up to the next level mm-hmm. and continued to like see the value in what we're doing and kind of move us forward, which has been really cool. Um, and it was one of the best days. I was so nervous because there were like four women in the audience um, who were in the film who hadn't seen it. And um, traditionally, you know, my executive producers were like, you have to show people the movie beforehand so that they don't feel nervous or violated mm-hmm. or, you know, they want to, it's, it's such a high stakes space for them. We're yeah. also critical, make sure they see it beforehand. And so um, there were a couple of women who had, who, because I had gotten a stomach flu and like a sinus infection, um, like the week before I had to cancel our screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just remember like sweating perf- like <laughs> this suit that I was wearing because I because the Via Rosas were sitting behind me and mm-hmm. I was just like I hope they f- I hope they feel seen I hope they right. like <laughs> you know I made this love letter for for all these women so that was really really nerve wracking but it was a wonderful wonderful event they actually gave us most of the invites so all of our friends and family were there all the women in the film were there with their families so it actually was really cool to be able to give them that experience too of like we not only are we valuing you and we want your stories to be seen and told but like you know the White House does too which was right. really awesome. what an amazing opportunity that's unbelievable <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> what are some other I know you've done some traveling recently what were some other places where Dream Girl has been um, screened Yeah, so I am part of the American Film Showcase, which is part of the State Department. And basically, they send documentary filmmakers kind of around the world to different American embassies to be able to create, you know, cultural diplomacy and to be able to showcase some of the issues that matter to Americans. Mm -hmm. And so I got the opportunity to go to Tajikistan, um, which is the country in between Afghanistan and um, Pakistan, which was Mm -hmm. really interesting. And then I got to go to Egypt and spend a couple of days in Cairo and do some screenings there. So um, I actually just got back from that trip. It was like a month ago and it was so incredible and so surreal and just so bizarre, I think, you know, to be like, we knew Dream Girl would, would affect people and reach people, but like, I didn't know that I would physically have to go to those places right. <laughs> like, and be a part of it, which is pretty fun. Yeah, what a level to not anticipate Yeah, <laughs> to be on the other side of the world screening this movie. Yeah, it was, um, it was really fun and very, very bizarre, and I kind of felt a uh, it was fun. I got to feel like a, an important person for a couple of days being issued around by these embassy people. So <laughs> cool. that's awesome. So speaking of, I need to hear more about Oprah. You met Oprah. Sure. Yeah. Let's hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like I said, one of our Kickstarter backers basically submitted us to be part of her Super Soul 100, um, which is a list of 100 people who are making social impact in their industries. And there's creatives, there's teachers, 
Um, there's tons of really awesome people, part of the group. And she, it was funny. She sent us the info about it. And I was like, there's no way, <laughs> like, there's not a, there's not a part of my body that like, there's not a bone in my body that thinks that this is ever actually going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, like whatever. And then she emails us, like, I don't know, maybe it was a month or so or a couple of weeks afterwards. And was and we got a letter that was like a letterhead and then like Oprah's signature at the bottom. Like they send you like a PDF. Oh my god. And like Oprah writes you. And I like lost my mind. <laughs> um but it was crazy because we got invited to Oprah Super Soul before the film actually came out. Mm-hmm. And so here we are being honored in this really great way, um, in like the best way ever. And I felt like a total imposter. And I was like, the movie's not done. You know, what are we being judged on? Like, I just was so, um, felt so overwhelmed about not being worthy for it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had to like do a lot of silencing of my saboteur of like this is an amazing opportunity shut your mouth and go you know (laughs) be a part of this celebrate it it is what it is like this is what is happening um so we got the opportunity to go to a brunch with Oprah where um they invited all the hundred super solars but only like 60 of them showed up so it was Mm -hmm. like us in a room with all of these amazing people, like Ariana Huffington, um, Gina Rodriguez was there, um, a lot like Gabby Bernstein, Marie Forleo, mm-hmm. like really cool people like in this group that we a got to like spend a day with, and then you know Oprah kind of floats into the room and she's <laughs> going from table to table, and um, it was just totally surreal. I think you're so used to seeing this woman like growing up watching you know her show and my mom watched her show and so like to be in a room with her you're it feels very like you're in a dream Mm -hmm. like very out of body and um then actually she so she's kind of going from table to table and we're all just kind of like glazed over you know especially like the newbies I mean there's people in the industry who've worked with her who are part of the list but you know, we were kind of at this group with like Ingrid Nelson and um, Prince EA, like some young YouTubers. Mm-hmm. And we're all just like our faces are glazed over. And she I was wearing a sleeveless dress and I have a sleeve of tattoos and she like beelined for me. Oh, my and she gosh. Started grabbing my arm and like asking questions about my tattoos and what they oh mean. My gosh. And, and I like totally blacked out. I like had no <laughs> idea what I what we were saying or I just remember like laughing and being like, Oprah is, t- is touching my arm and like, I'm never going to wash it. And like, I can't believe this is, this is happening. Um, so that was really, really fun. And um, we got to go to her super soul sessions, which are like her t- spiritual Ted talks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was amazing. I went um, last year, I was invited to go again too. So we, um, I went and um, saw the, the, all the talks and stuff like that. And um you know, I think, I don't know, Oprah is just like such a media icon. Right. And she's such a pillar of kind of trying to move us forward as a collective community. Um, so it's super, super cool that we're, you know, we've been honored by her and that she's, she's interested in, in what Dreamgirl's doing. Well, I think Dreamgirl does align with a lot of the things that Oprah sets forth, which is why you guys were invited to Sur- yeah, yeah, Super Soul sure. Sunday. <laughs> 
So, Erin, before we move on to finding out a little more personal information about you, um, tell our listeners where they can find some of these things, like your blog and your podcast and your movie. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I would follow, if you have to follow me anywhere, I would follow me on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, which is Erin, E-R-I-N dot Bagwell, B-A-G-W-E-L-L. Um, and there I really post everything. So if I have a screening coming up or, you know, there's something really cool on the blog or I'm posting, you know, a new episode of Beaver Talk, I think that's kind of the hub. I'm like, there are some people who are Twitter people. There are some people mm-hmm. who are Facebook people. I'm an Instagram person. So um, that's where you should go for that. Um, and then check out feministwednesday.com or, you know, dreamgirlfilm.com if you want to learn more about, you know, either the blog or the movie. Um, currently we're doing community screening licenses for dream girl. So the only way you can see it is at community events. Um, it's $300 to host your own screening. And, you know, every now and then I will do a digital screening Mm -hmm. where we'll charge like $5. People can tune in online to watch it. So, um, you guys can kind of, and I'll post that stuff on my Instagram. So Mm -hmm. that that'll come up probably maybe we'll do one for March or the summer. I haven't quite, we just finished one for December. So we'll see. All right. That sounds good. So go check out all of Erin's projects. (laughs) (laughs) So Erin, what does it mean to you to be a woman in our, this year, 2018 that we're in? You know, I have been thinking and you know, the golden globes just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love this idea of like the time's up mantra. Mm -hmm. And I think we are seeing so many women just take up space And I think it's truly a radical act of rebellion for women to just be themselves, Mm -hmm. to speak up and to kind of claim the spaces and the stories and the industries that I think traditionally were kind of gendered to, you know, stay away from. And so, I don't know, we've been through a lot, I think, as women Mm -hmm. this, this year, last year. For all of time. (laughs) For all of time, yeah. Um, But it's feeling like there's something happening, Mm -hmm. which is so cool. Yeah. Uh, So I think I'm feeling hopeful more than anything. I like that answer. I've been saying, you know, for this last year that we're we're experiencing a cultural shift, and I at certain points I haven't been sure if it was a good shift or a bad shift, but I think we're we're headed in some directions where some change will happen, which. I find comforting. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say too, like being in um, Egypt and Tajikistan where the countries are run by dictatorships Mm -hmm. um, and where families and generations of these, you know, sometimes really oppressive ideals, you know, can, can be in power for such a long time. We are really privileged to be in a country where we do have a safe transfer of power Mm -hmm. Um, and we are allowed to protest and we are allowed to, you know, create resistance, which in a lot of countries is not allowed. So I also was feeling hopeful, like coming back from kind of that experience of like, wow, we have so much freedom of speech, Mm -hmm. you know, we're allowed to like do this. This is crazy. You know, we're not going to get shot in the street. We're not going to be jailed or imprisoned for, for speaking out. And so it's, I think it's really important. Um, now more than ever to continue to do so and put that pressure on the administration. Um, and then also just to know, like, there is an ending in sight, like, you know, whether it's four years or eight years, like we can do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to be a lifetime of oppression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now would you say your answer of what you said before about what it means to be a woman, is that your personal answer or is that kind of a general <laughs> answer? <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, what it means to be a woman, I think is, I think it means to be hopeful. And I think mm-hmm. it means, you know, to be, to be always, you know, changing and evolving, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I think about when I think about like, for me personally, it's like, we're always in states of evolution, you know, whether it's monthly or yearly mm-hmm. or, you know, having babies or like, we're, there's, there's such power in being a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so for me, I feel, I think powerful is a good, mm-hmm. a good word. That was my word on my episode. Oh, so- <laughs> <laughs> we picked the same one. Um, well, so what is your favorite part of being a woman? Um, my favorite, I think, I think there's like some witchiness that women tap into, mm-hmm. you know, like I think there's like a lot of, and maybe this is a gender stereotype and someone can tweet at me and tell me that <laughs> it's wrong, but I think women are gendered to be more emotional. And so mm-hmm. we use that emotion to communicate in a lot of ways with mm-hmm. each other and with our friends and family. And I think there's something really intuitive, mm-hmm. um, that we have inherently. And I think that kind of happens like with the moon and, you know, our period. So I think there's something really witchy about it, which Mm -hmm. I enjoy. Oh, I like that answer. That's (laughs) interesting. (laughs) Um, And then at the turn of that, what is your least favorite part of being a woman? Um, What a tough question. I mean, you know what I think it is? I think the lack of sisterhood Mm-hmm. specifically for women, white women and women of color. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, looking at the feminist movement, women of color have always been the leaders. They've always been at the forefront. They've always been on the right side of history and pushing us forward. And I think kind of within the feminist movement, there's a lot of disconnect about what it means to be intersectional. Um, and so I, it hurts my heart when I see like women arguing or fighting or, or not being in alignment Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that white women have to educate themselves mm-hmm. on the double level of oppression that women of color have to face. So mm-hmm. um, that's really painful when I see women just get it wrong, you know, right. like thinking about like Lena Dunham specifically, like when we have these really pillar, you know, icons in the movement who who get it wrong mm-hmm. um, and who kind of divide us. I think that's that's painful. So I think mm-hmm. we have a lot of work to do to keep um, keep learning and keep growing and to keep mm-hmm. working together to uplift each other. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. But I do question, um, you know, I, like you said, it, it's on white women to educate ourselves. Um, but at what points are, are we allowed to make mistakes, I guess, mm-hmm. is the yeah. question. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's there's not a lot of space for that. But it's also kind of like, exasperating for women of color to have to either explain or endure uh, whatever happens at the hands of a mistake. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I think there's not a lot of space for for white women to make Mm -hmm. mistakes. Um, And I think that's even just within the feminist movement. I think if you say something wrong, you do something, Mm -hmm. there is such a a crowd of that's re-educating you, which is great on one hand, you Mm -hmm. always know when you're wrong or when you've stepped out of line. But there is such a burning at the stake of it. Right. And it's like we should be able to grow and evolve and make these mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I always think about is in Hillary Clinton's book, um, What Happened, she writes that 
Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love. And I think that's very true of the movement (laughs) that sometimes we just need to back people and get behind people. You know, I'm seeing a lot of criticism right now online for the, for the times up movement. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm not here for it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, we don't have time to be doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much, um, that we kind of dissect and pull apart. And it's like, at what extent is this hurting the movement as a whole? So it's a, it's really complicated. Right. And I know I talked about this a couple episodes ago, um, just about like some of the criticism that came with the wearing all black at the golden globes Mm -hmm. and the time's up initiative. And, you know, the criticism that was out there was that, okay, you're wearing black, but what are you doing? Um, but those women did do something. They've created this organization that is going to provide funds and work for legislation. So, I mean, there is some action taken, but it's just a question of should women drop everything in their lives in order to align with these certain movements. Like I think some of the suggestions were that maybe none of those women should have attended the Glo- the Golden Globes, but is that mm. really is that really the solution for women to not be visible in these spaces or to take themselves out of the running in some of those spaces? I mean, I personally, you know, I, I did read to like the criticism around wearing black and are we in mourning and all this, but I, mm-hmm. I really thought they, that women look like they're in a witch's coven. <laughs> and I really was feeling like this mm-hmm. glamour and this, mm-hmm. I mean, and again, like the taking up of space and, you know, getting on stage and like naming it, naming it, naming it. And right. I think, you know, we wouldn't have had, I mean, if to your point, like if women were not there, like then what are we seeing and right. what is the representation there? So I mean, it's, it's hard. We, we need to be critical and we need to be forward thinking, but we also, I'm, I I want people to be like a little more sensitive to like biting the movement Mm -hmm. and like critiquing just for the sake of critiquing Mm -hmm. because Republicans aren't, they're not doing that to their movements and and they're moving forward at, at really fast speeds and we Mm -hmm. need to be matching them and we're not. Absolutely. Definitely. All right. <laughs> Should I move on to another question or do we have more sure. for that? No. Um, so this might align a little bit with the question we were just talking about. Um, is there anything that you think the world needs to know about women that it, it doesn't know currently? Oh, these are tough questions, Missy. I know, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, like, it's not necessarily what – people need to know about women, but what women need to know about women. Okay. I like that. And I feel like we're, you know, thinking about the dream girl and the mantra of dream girl truly is like that you don't need permission to follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in our culture, women are always looking for, you know, their caretaker, caretaker, their prince charming, their Mm -hmm. perfect job. Like we're, we're gendered from a really young age there's this interesting study, it's called like the Prince, um, the Cinderella syndrome. Mm -hmm. And basically what happens is like little girls are taught that if they're silent and they raise their hand, they'll get rewarded. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're gendered to think that this behavior is really positive, right? Mm -hmm. Stay silent, do the work, be the best at whatever, and you will get rewarded. Well, when you move into the workforce, that's not how it works. Right. If you're not promoting yourself, if you're not, you know, being aggressive about stuff, you know, you could be the best in the room, and you could still get looked over for a promotion. Right, like, that's right. just not how the world works. And so I think oftentimes we fall into this idea of, like, 
it'll get handed to us. Mm-hmm. If we work really hard, it'll fall into our laps or, you know, that perfect thing will like come into our lives. And I think what we don't realize is coming back to that power mm-hmm. is that we actually have a lot of more agency than we think we do. Right. And we have to believe that and step into that and oftentimes create it because unfortunately, like, you know, the opportunities aren't, you know, showering um, down on us. So yeah. I think women need to know that, you know, they are powerful, they are worthy, and, and there's so much space for us to to create and to build new things. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking ourselves more seriously is something I think women mm-hmm. need to do. And that's something that men are taught the whole way through. Like, men are taught to ask for a raise and to, like, step into these situations with confidence and owning the situation. And like you said, women aren't necessarily taught that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, So this is a really big question, this next one. Um, What issue that affects women are you most passionate about? Um, I think paternity leave is something that I feel deeply invested in and that I feel um, deeply heartbroken that the United States is the only industrial nation that doesn't offer maternity or paternity leave as like a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite parts in dream girl is when we show the statistics for that. And then we show all the countries that do offer some kind of maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because people always gasp and they're mm-hmm. always shocked and everyone's always offended. You know, we think of America as like one of the greatest countries in the world yet, you know, Saudi Arabia and India and France and mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe 40 other countries offer pretty standard maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's something that I think a lot about is you know, these women who are running their companies, they're thriving in their careers, they they don't have support, they're not going to get support, mm-hmm. you know, when they start having children. Um, and I think it's going to be a really big feminist issue for, um, for our generation, especially since millennials are the most in debt. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having less children than any other generation. And I think a lot of that is because we're not getting, you know, any type of government support. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an issue that I I'm thinking about um, a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that is. And that's something that I'm going to, well, not necessarily that, but I'm going to address equal pay shortly. So mm. we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth. Um, I think a few episodes back, actually, this was kind of a long time ago. Um, I was shocked to find that Claudia, my guest, she grew up in Mexico. She talks about how her friends in Mexico were outraged over their forced paternity leave that they had to take um and it was three days <laughs> and they were outraged over having to take off three days For three days yes oh, they wanted to be at work and they wow. did not want to be at home which they couldn't take three days no they didn't want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah I found that very shocking I wonder if it's like a cultural stigma if they shame women for taking it and if that's why oh no this this was for the men to take oh for the men yeah Oh, and it was a, a cultural stigma. So, yeah, she it, it's part of machismo, which, you know, yeah. is their, part of their culture. Yeah. Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what changes would you like to see for women in the future? It's <laughs> so many changes. I think um, reproductive rights um, is a really big one. I know there's been a lot of policing of women's bodies and access to abortion, Um you know, even when I was watching like a clip the other day of like a woman 
who is volunteering to like assist women get to Planned Parenthoods or get to clinics. You know, we have to actually physically have volunteers help them because there's so much people get stuff thrown at them. They get, you know, mobbed in some instances. And that really like breaks my heart to think these poor women, you know, have made this decision. It, you know, whether they are totally all in or not, like that's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so then to have this added judgment of like a mob or a crowd had to have Mm -hmm. to be escorted to a clinic is pretty insane. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that, you know, I wish we could get some, first of all, abortions are legal in the United States. They are period. So I think we need to, you know, continue to allow people the the freedom to be able to get them to make it easier. I know there's so many restrictions on Planned Parenthood about like, you know, how long they're always need to be for for them to do the procedures. So I like people to um, be more educated about that and like chill the fuck out about it. Is that is that is there another one or is that your main one? <laughs> um, I mean, you brought up equal pay. That's obviously yeah. like you know a, a huge. Um, a huge issue that needs to be resolved that's like we're losing billions of dollars, you know, as an economy because of. So um, that's a big one. You know, the objectification, I mean, we could go on and on and on, (laughs) but also like the objectification of, you know, women in the media and in advertising leads to so many other subconscious. um, There's a lot of violence that happens against women when you view them as objects. So that's kind of another just general one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we could, I could could be here all day. (laughs) Yeah. So I am going to go into my story of subversion and then we'll end with yours, Erin. So I have a real quick one today, but it does address the subject of equal pay. And I actually am not speaking about a specific person today. I'm speaking about a country um, and that country is Iceland. So as of January 1st, 2018, Iceland enacted the first equal pay law for men and women. Um, And it requires businesses with 25 or more workers to prove that they pay men and women equally for equal work. Um, And so these companies have to prove that their pay policies are actually based on performance and actually based on education level and skill set. And the companies are going to have to undergo audits. And if it's found that there's a, a pay disparity, the companies are going to be required to fix it. And they could potentially have to pay five, the equivalent of $500 a day until they correct that discretion. Um, and I mean, Iceland in general is a pretty progressive country and their parliament is about 50% women. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is just kind of a testament to what happens when you have equal representation. You have legislation that helps everybody um, because this doesn't just help women. Sometimes you know, through this process or through looking at different companies, they found that there were some men that weren't being paid equally to women for the same work. Like, obviously, it, it benefits women more, but it just across the board, it helps everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Go Iceland. Yay. <laughs> so, Erin, do you want to share your story of subversion? Yeah, so I, um, I went to a Women in Hollywood event um, a couple of months ago, And um, there was an auction to have lunch with a really famous documentary film executive producer who I have like a real girl crush on and I'm like obsessed with. Um, Her name is Sheila Nevins. And um, if you guys, if you don't know her already, um, 
Google her, look her up. She's produced 1,200 documentaries. Oh, wow. She's won a billion Academy Awards, Emmys, Peabody's. I mean, she's been at HBO. She's the president of HBO Documentaries for the last 35 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's she's a media icon. Um, and I've been a fan of hers. I read her book, um, which is also really spectacular. Um, and you should read. It's called You Don't Look your age and other fairy tales. <laughs> and um, it's all just kind of short stories about her experience. She grew up like in the Mad Men era and she has like bonkers stories. Oh, wow. And we're sitting, um, you know, at this event, she got honored. I think she won an award and they auctioned off to raise money for this nonprofit for women in Hollywood. They auctioned off a lunch with her and I didn't bid. And this man in front of me won And during the bidding, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I felt like, you know, my heart was like racing. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I should be bidding and I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't like, my body was almost (laughs) so paralyzed with fear from excitement that I like, I didn't bid. Um, So you like missed it because you were kind of like so nervous. I was in my head and I was like, (laughs) should I do it? Should, but like, I knew I should have, do you know what I mean? Like my whole body was like, get it together, Aaron, bid on this woman. Um, so I didn't bid, I didn't win. And then, (laughs) so the guy was sitting, so the minute the auction ended, my whole brain was like, Jesus, like, (laughs) I have to say something to this man that won. Like, I can't let him leave this room with this lunch with this Mm -hmm. woman. Like, I have to meet her. Um, and so I went up to him and I like tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, uh, I was like, do you really want to have lunch with Sheila? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, why? And I was like, well, it's a women in Hollywood event. And mm-hmm. like, I want to outbid you for the lunch. Like it belongs to me. And like, you should give it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was so shocked. And like, I was shocked at the words <laughs> coming out of my mouth, but I just felt like so in alignment and, and just mm-hmm. wanted to meet this woman so bad, um, that he gave it to me. Oh, wow. And- he let me, uh, he let me outbid him. And I was like, my whole body was shaking. I was like, woo, like, like <laughs> to, you know, spend a couple of hours with this woman, um, which really kind of meant the world to me. Uh, you know, I think as a first time filmmaker, being in the room with somebody like that is just, it's just so um, special. Yeah, so. absolutely. Sometimes, you know, you don't win. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you just got to ask and maybe someone will give you their winnings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's the latest of, um, you know, the subversion, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Erin, we're, well, we're heading towards the end of the episode. Um, so is there anything that we touched on or maybe that we didn't touch on that you wanted to add just before we finish up? Um, no, I, I have just really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, this is fantastic. I feel like we got into so many different um, nuances and spaces and, um, yeah, I would tell people to, if they're interested in kind of any of the stuff that I said, just Instagram, find find me on Instagram. Um, always talking about these feminist happenings. And I actually have, um, a podcast called Beaver Talk where Mm -hmm. I give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. Um, me and my friend Diana just kind of go into kind of some of the problematic spaces, some of the things we love. Um, it's just a real girl talk. So Mm -hmm. check that out for people too, or who are interested in more feminist stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we're all about girl talk here on Womankind. We love it. <laughs> well, thank you, Erin, for being here. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And just remember, if you'd like to get in touch with Womankind, um, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Womankind Podcast. You can email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com and then check out our website at www.womankindpodcast.com. Thanks so much for being here, Erin. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, friends.